Hello and welcome to the Father's House Church. We're so glad that you're here today. We hope that you are encouraged by today's message from our lead pastor, Greg Fraser. Well, this is the highlight of the Christian calendar being the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the most important day in the Christian calendar, but I hope by the end of this service that you will understand that this is the most important day in the history of the world. And I want to explain a little bit about that today. Well, I'm going to tell you a bit of a story. I met with my barber this week because I had to get, you know, I told him it's the most important Sunday. I have to get my hair cut. So he did a nice job. But don't you think my haircut looks great? My barber's great. Amen. And uh, to all the barbers out there, way to go. Thank you. And, uh, and uh, so we, we talk about things of faith all the time. This is kind of what happens with my barber. And um, we, I, I have a great relationship with him. We, we have a growing friendship. Um, I won't mention his name because he's from this community, but, but um, I've had the privilege of praying for him. His wife was, had, was sick with cancer, and uh, several years ago I was able to pray with him and pray for their family, and thank God they've had three children. His wife's doing fine. But we talk about faith all the time because he is a Muslim, and I am a Christian. And so we discuss things all the time, and it's awesome, actually. Today, or this week, we talked about the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so I told him a little bit of the story. This is what we believe. This is our weekend. We believe in that Jesus died for the sins of the world, and especially for those who believe, and, and we believe He was resurrected from the dead, and He's going to come again to judge the living and the dead. And he said, well, we believe... Uh, that Jesus was resurrected, but not in the same way you do. He didn't go to the cross, and he didn't die, but he was taken up into heaven, and he's going to return with Allah one day uh, at the second coming of Christ. He's not the Son of God, they say, and that's okay. I'm just telling you that their story, their storyline. Can you believe Jesus is in the storyline of the Muslim faith? It's kind of neat to me, actually. We talked about it, and we discussed it, and... Uh, that Jesus is going to come again. And I thought that was very interesting as we went through the story together a little bit. And I started to research just a bit more about what other major faiths in the world say about Jesus. It's quite an interesting story. You can go and do that yourself. Just begin to explore where does Jesus fit into the narrative of the major religions of the world. And so you know that most of them have something to say about him, which is kind of amazing. Jews fully acknowledged that a man named Jesus Christ came to earth, uh, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried, but they don't believe he was resurrected, and they don't believe he was the Son of God. Okay, so that's okay. That's, I'm just telling you, the narrative of Jesus is in these storylines. Uh, Hindus believe Jesus was a God, uh, not the God, but a God of the one point two million gods. Jesus made it into the list, okay? So that's great. I'm just telling you, that's good news. Jesus is in the narrative, is in the story. Buddhists believe that he was an enlightened holy man, that he had achieved enlightenment in his life, and he'd come to that place, and so they, they herald him as that and understand him of that. You can go through all these major religions that they all have something to say about Jesus. But here's what Christians believe. We believe that we are hopeless without the death 
and subsequent resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe that those two things are essential to our faith. That's why this weekend is such a paramount weekend for Christians, because it marks and celebrates the death and resurrection of Jesus. So I'm going to share my sermon today like I'm going to piece together my story when my narrative when I'm talking with my, my friend, the Muslim barber. Oh, is that okay? I'm just going to kind of share why we believe what we believe. And we're going to go through that. And I got 30 minutes, so hold, I'm going to turn the French on. I'm going to start speaking fast, and you're going to have to hold on for the ride. Amen? Here we go. I'm not going to speak in French, but I'm going to go quickly. Here we go. Well, let's pray first. Father, we need your help. Holy Spirit, come and, and uh, help us, Lord God, to understand the incredible. I'm literally going to preach the entire Bible right now, Lord. So God, thank you for that. Give me strength to do it. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to receive and respond to you. In Christ's name, amen and amen. amen. Whoo, okay. So I have to tell the story, how I would tell the story uh, to someone who asked me, what do you believe as a Christian? I would start at the beginning. In the beginning, God was a creator, and God created mankind in his image. You and I are image bearers. We've been created. You know, God looked at the world. He created fish. He created birds. He created zebras. He created it all. And he said, it is good. It is good. It is good. It is good. But when he created mankind, he said, it is very good. Why? Because you're the only part of creation that's created in the image of God. I, I, you know, we're called to be stewards of the world, and I think we're to take care of the world. But I'm going to tell you, humanity is elevated above all other things. Just saying. That's what we believe. Okay. So here we are. We're created in God's image. We think. We feel. We're self-aware. We're aware of our environment. We have the power to create, the power to manage, the power to choose between alternatives. And we're created with incredible purpose. So God set us in this place called the Garden of Eden, and the intent of God was that that garden life would spread across the world, that we would subdue it, and then we would manage it for the good of mankind and for the glory of God. Do you know that that's God's intention, that our lives are lived for the good of mankind and for the glory of God? That's a pretty good, good intention and reason to be created, and we're created with incredible life-giving relationships. You know, God kept saying all throughout the creation process, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is very good. But one time he said it is not good. And he said it this way, it is not good for man to be alone. Amen? We need God. We need a relationship with God. We need a relationship with one another. And all the women said, thank God the men have, have spouses. That's all I can say. Amen? Because we need help. It's very true. But something, here's where we're also together. We're incredibly part of the story, knit together from creation. But then something went incredibly wrong with God's original intention for humanity. Mankind tried to write their own story without God. We chose to turn away from God's path and plan and create our own story apart from Him. The Bible calls this action sin. And so sin came into the, the world's story, the narrative, and it, sin separates us. The wages of sin is death. It's not instantaneous uh, physical death, but at first it was spiritual death and disconnection from God. And so we know that from the story of Adam and Eve, and if you haven't ever read that, you can go back and read that. 
And so we tried, you know, really, if you want to understand a very simple definition of sin, okay? To me, sin is where I'm self-centered rather than God-centered. That's it. Every decision I make apart from God's counsel and wisdom and understanding of how I'm to operate creates problems for me. Uh, Maybe I'm alone, but I've figured this out after years of trying to do it on my own. It doesn't really work. We set to write a story that didn't include a relationship with God or even a need of God. Now, for some of you, they say, well, that sounds reasonable. (laughs) Who's God to tell me what to do? Like, whatever. I want to do my own thing. I'm going to do my own thing my own way. Now, good for you. Uh, Not really, but okay. Um, Do you know that there are now eight billion people on planet earth we broke the eight billion mark now imagine with me (laughs) eight billion people trying to live from their own selfish self-centered interests think on these things the lord will give you wisdom eight billion people well how many know things became a huge mess right Our image became marred. We became disjointed, discombobulated, disconnected. We're utterly together in all of this story, but we feel utterly alone. So something has broken in the story of God. Something has broken in God's original intention. Our purpose has been twisted. Instead of taking dominion, check this out, I'm created to take dominion over myself so that I can serve others. Well, now our world is saying, I'm going to take dominion over you so you can serve me. How many of that's the problem in this world today? Yeah. Even Even it's a problem in marriages at times. It's a problem in companies. It's a problem when governments overstep and try and control your life. Okay, I'm just saying, it's a problem, okay? How many know your relationships have been broken and made threadbare? You know, we try to cover, we try to hide, we try to blame, we try to justify. The woman you put here with me made me eat the fruit. Like, I'm innocent, God. Right? Now, most of you know, Betty, that's not true. I, I did it all on my own, okay? So you're, you're understanding that. So this is, leads us to the first part of the story. How do, what do we do now? What do we do? What do we do to fix it? Because that's the question. <laughs> our image is marred. Our purpose is misguided. Our, our relationships are, are made threadbare. So the first question I ask is, what can I do to fix it? It's the wrong question. The right question is, what did God do to fix it? Well, God sent His only begotten Son right? That's what he did. God created us to be image bearers, relationally healthy, and have incredible purpose, which is now broken. What did God do to fix it? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Romans 8, 3, and 4, I love how it says it in the message, God went for the jugular when he sent his own son. He didn't deal with the problem as something remote or unimportant. In His Son, Jesus, He personally took on the human condition, entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it once and for all right with Him. Amen? Okay, that's the first part of the story. 
That's where the cross comes in. The cross is where Jesus took on sinful humanity's sin. This is incredible. If I will but believe this, if I will but receive this, if I will say, Jesus, in and of myself, I wrecked it. I I can't fix it. Will you come into my life, come into my heart and transform me, forgive my sin? You know what he does? He takes your sin and he gives you his place with God. You become a son or a daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You are adopted into the family of God. Wow. Guys, this is why we, the church calls this the gospel. It's the good, joyful, merry news. God is not mad at you for your sin. He's saying there's a solution for your sin, but it's not in you. It's in my son, Jesus. And won't you but receive him? Well, that's where we live. The first part of the story, the cross Jesus spoke words from the cross. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. He spoke the second last word from the cross was it is finished. It means paid in full. If you will but receive Christ, he takes your sin, your brokenness, and he bears it upon the cross. Hallelujah, amen, and amen. But the problem is this. If it ends at the cross... How can my image be restored? How can my broken relationships be repaired or my misguided purpose set right? Let me just make it plain. If I'm the one who broke it in the first place, how do I think I'm the one that is to make it right? It's kind of basic math. (laughs) I'm not the answer here. And so this leads us to the second part of the story, church. Why the resurrection is essential. Unless Jesus rose from the dead, we have no hope in this life. Wow. So I was reading a book called uh, A Year of Biblical Living, One Humble Man's Quest to Follow uh, the Bible as Literally as Possible. A.J. Jacobs wrote this book. It's a bestseller. Um, He tries to live as a Jew for the first part of the book. And I think at the end he tries to live as a Christian. I didn't get that far, but uh, I know that what is interesting is uh, A.J. Jacobs is an atheist. He's Jewish, but he doesn't practice his Jewish religion. So he tries to live biblically. Okay, here's the problem with all that. And when he got to Christianity and thought, oh, well, I'll try this Christian thing, he met with a theologian who said to him, um, you might as well forget it right now. <laughs> because you cannot live a Christian life unless you invite Christ into your life. See, Christianity is not a religion that says, well, here's all the do's and don'ts. Do the do's and don't do the don'ts. And then you'll be good. That's not Christianity. Christianity says you are wrecked and distorted and twisted and contorted and you are separated from God. But if you will but trust God and invite God to come into your life, he will come into your life, forgive your sins on the cross. And then because of the power of his resurrection, he will now come and live in you. So that's good news because Greg Fraser can't do this Christian life without God. And so this is A.J. Jacobs. If I could talk to A.J. right now, I'd say, A.J., dude, you can't do this on your own. That's the whole point. You need God. And this is why Christians talk about being born again. 
Oh, here we go, weird stuff. Yeah, well, we're peculiar. I can't help it. It's in the Bible. Um, <laughs> don't be surprised that God can ra- be raised from the dead. He's God. Let's get over that first and foremost, but we'll get there in a minute. I'm going to give you some proofs as to the resurrection, so hang in there. So here we are. I want to live a life pleasing to God. But here's the fundamental understanding of Christianity. I need to live life with God. Listen to what Galatians 2.20 says. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me, and the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 2 Corinthians 5 says, And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new is here. See, you're a new creation. This is the story of Christianity. This is where the resurrection comes in. You need Christ to come into your life and he makes you a new creature. One united with himself in order to live a life pleasing to God that is going to take you the rest of your life to live. Do I? Because my marred image is being restored. My broken relationships are being made whole. I'm learning how to live with people again. My purpose, which has been misguided to using and abusing you, is now changing to taking control and dominion over myself in order to serve you. It's going to take a lifetime. Amen? And that's really where we need to understand. This is Christianity 101. You see, the Bible talks about the fact that you are in Christ. Some 70 scriptures in the New Testament talk about being in Christ, in Christ. Christ is in you and you're in Christ. Now you have a new power from which, with which to live your life. Amen? Because we're in Christ, we have a restored relationship with God. You can read about that in Romans chapter 8. I'm going to skip it because I ran out of time in the first service, so skip that scripture. Because we're in Christ, our marred image is being renovated. Hallelujah. You can read it in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. You're like, Pastor Greg, you're flipping pages really fast here. Well, my, my page flipper is not working great. There we go. Because we're in Christ, we have a renewed purpose. Skip 2 Corinthians 5.20. Guys, in your life, all these things are being restored because of your relationship with Jesus. Amen? Isn't it good news that your marred image is being fixed? Amen. And all the women said, amen. Amen. It's true. And all the men said, no, that was not wise. That was your chance to not say something, and you, you totally just, I'll, I can do marriage counseling later. It's all good. There's <laughs> nothing wrong with you, honey. No, we all have problems. We get it. So, guys, unless Jesus rose from the dead, we are hopeless in this life. Okay? But here's the second thought. Unless Jesus rose from the dead, we, we have no hope in eternity. There's great suffering and great loss sometimes in this world, but this world is a dress rehearsal for the real life that follows. This is a scripture I read at funerals often, 1 Corinthians 15. For our earthly bodies, the ones we have 
now can die, must be transformed into heavenly bodies that cannot perish but will live forever. When this happens, then the last, the scripture will come true. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? For the sting that causes death will all be gone, and the law which reveals our sin will no longer be our judge. How we thank God for all of this. It is he who makes us victorious through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So, my dear brothers and sisters, since future victory is sure, be strong and steady, always abounding in the Lord's work, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever wasted as it would be if there was no resurrection. I have done... 30 years of ministry, probably 150 funerals, three or four a year, sometimes more. And I can tell you without a doubt that the funerals I do, now, you know, we all go through loss, we all go through pain, but the funerals I do for those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ are very different than the ones that I do that have not. The sense of peace in the midst of loss, the sense of God's presence, it's very different, church. Now, I try and do my best job at a funeral to comfort people and give them hope, so I talk about the goodness of God, the goodness of God. But for the believers, I talk about their faith was not in vain. Amen? They believe in God. And God is for them and not against them. So how can we believe in the resurrection? We've got a few minutes left. You can read about this in Luke chapter 24 and John chapter 20. I'm going to go through those two really quickly. But in, John, in Luke 24, Jesus has died. All his followers are distraught. They're devastated. They thought he was the Messiah. And they're like, what happened? Jesus died on a cross. Even though Jesus told them he was going to die on a cross and be raised to new life, they still now didn't believe it as they were in the midst of this terrible moment of history where Jesus was falsely accused, put through a mockery of a trial, and died in your place and in my place because that's what he did. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And then he said, it is finished. But another word from the cross that he spoke was this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus wasn't forsaken as the Son of God. He was forsaken as representing you and I. He took the separation from God that we deserved and gave us His relationship with God. Wow. Powerful words. So they go there, they go, to, they go there to help. To, they're going to anoint the body Jesus has been in the tomb now for three days. They get there and the stone's rolled away and the body's missing. And suddenly two angels appear and they fall at, their, at the feet of the angels, begin to, to worship because they're freaked out. I mean, if you saw an angel, how many of you would be like, okay, seriously. So then this is what he says. The angels say to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. So they rush back. They get all excited. They rush back to tell the 11 apostles that, uh, you know, remember one has committed suicide. 
and there's 11 left now, and uh, the one who betrayed Jesus, Judas, committed suicide. Now there's 11 left. They go back, we've seen the Lord. We've seen the Lord. But listen how these men of God respond. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed like nonsense. Oh, there's so much in this scripture. See, the disciples had trouble believing in Jesus' resurrection from the dead, even though Jesus predicted he would be resurrected. And it was common knowledge among his friends and his enemies. You can read about it in John chapter 2, Matthew chapter 12, Matthew chapter 16. You can read about it in John chapter 10. Jesus said these words, Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my life, I will take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself, and I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. All over he's predicting he would die. Even his enemies believed in that, that he said these words, church. Matthew 27 Verse 62 to 64. On the next day, which followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together to Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember while he was still alive how the deceiver said, After three days he will rise. Therefore command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, He has risen from the dead, so the last deception will be worse than the first. Jesus predicted this over and over. He told the guys, guys, I'm going to be raised from the dead. I'm going to be raised from the dead. Don't be shocked. I'm going to be raised from the dead. So John chapter 20 rolls around. They've heard the women say, we saw Jesus. Uh, they don't believe them. So Jesus shows up in a locked room. They're in a locked room because they're scared of the authorities. They're going to take them prisoner and captive now. They're in a locked room, and Jesus just appears and says the words that everybody loves to comfort when they see what they think is a ghost. Peace be with you. Ah, no. Now, we know he wasn't a ghost because he says in another scripture, give me a piece of fish, and he eats it. And he says, touch my hands, my side. I'm real. I'm resurrected. And so this is the story. They're all overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And then Thomas, who was not present, one of the disciples, we call him Doubting Thomas, remember him? Doubting Thomas is not present. So they say, we've seen the Lord, we're so excited, we've seen the Lord. He says, unless I touch his hand and his side, I will not believe it. So Jesus shows up the next day. <laughs> Again, he says, peace be with you. He says, Thomas, reach out your hand. Put it in my side. I mean, sorry, Lord, for not believing you. I sense and see now that I was wrong in this. He says, stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And he ends with these words. Jesus told him, because you've seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen me yet have believed. Now, why did I do this? Church, the apostles, this is the only proof I'm going to give you of the resurrection. The apostles, the 11 apostles, all gave their lives because they believed Jesus was raised from the dead. Do you know 10 of 11 of them were martyred? 
10 of 11 of them, some were sawn in two, some were, some were crucified upside down, some were stabbed with swords, some were beheaded. Do you really think these guys who at one point did not believe the resurrection would now live their lives and give their lives for an unresurrected Savior? What changed in them? They saw Jesus. So here's the last of the questions. The band's going to come back. The truth of Jesus' death and resurrection leads us to two questions to be answered today. Where are you trying to find life in this world? That's what the angels asked. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. You know, we look at a world today that is trying to find life in a world that is here today and gone tomorrow. We're trying to find life in things that cannot produce life. Instead of coming to the Prince and the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Lord of life, and asking Him for life. <laughs> the greatest life comes as we abide and live with God. And this is the invitation of Easter. This is what God is inviting people to come into. He's inviting you to believe the story of Easter, which is the last question we ask. Will you believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus? Jesus scolded Thomas and he said, because you've seen me, you believe, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. So what's the simple word of declaration for you and me? In Romans chapter 10, it says this, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As the scriptures say, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. Amen? Amen. Church, let me tell you a quick story in closing before I invite you into a moment of faith. I had a very, very, very good friend he was a lawyer, and um, he did not believe in Jesus. As a matter of fact, when I became a Christian, he, he set out his life's purpose to mock me and to call me ridiculous for the next several years, which is fine because I loved him and he was my friend. But he would say things like, see you at the barbecue. And I'd be like, what are you talking about, see you at the barbecue? And he'd say, well, you know, when you give your lives, because you're going to go preach to the pygmies and they're going to barbecue you and kill you, so I'll be there. Like, he'd say stuff like that to me. Like, he was just like, he was naughty, okay? I'm just going to tell you. He was a naughty lawyer. And, but he got sick. He got very sick. And he had a, just a devastating form of cancer. And his family phoned me and said he has gone for surgery, but he's now in a coma, and they're not expecting him to wake my heart was grieving because I know he had not made a decision to follow Jesus. So they asked me to come and pray for him. So I went to the hospital. My wife and I prayed the whole way there and we said, Lord, you got to wake him up. 
You've got to wake him up to receive you as Lord and Savior. And so we did. We went there and I played my guitar and I sang worship songs over him and I held his hand and I, I'm telling you guys, it was the greatest miracle I've ever seen in my life. He woke up from coma while I was praying for him. He removed his feeding tube and he smiled at me because I had led him to Christ in a prayer while he was in a coma. I said, Brian, squeeze my hand. Squeeze my hand if you feel this. Squeeze my hand if you want to give your life to Jesus. Squeeze my hand if you're sorry for your sins. He woke up. He looked at his family. He said, I want to go home. Went home for 18 hours and he died. Jesus is alive, guys. He rescued this man from the brink of destruction. He was merciful and good. You don't have to wait that long. Amen? You can live life with Jesus in the here and now. The resurrection is good for that too. But you have to make a decision. Will I believe? Will I open up my heart? Will I let God in? Jesus stands at the door of your heart and he knocks and he says, if you will but open the door and let me in, I will come and do life together with you. Thanks for joining us today. For more on our messages or information about our ministries, you can visit tfhchurch.ca. We hope you have a great week.